0: Welcome to Episode 1 of the Future is Inclusive technology podcast about the trusted workplace, brought to you by Cisco. Jeremy is on a video call to his startup co-founders. One is in Brazil, one's in Canada, and another one is in Tokyo. Under normal circumstances, this unlikely team would never have met but the acceleration of digitization fueled by the 2020 COVID pandemic has made this type of startup increasingly common. People united, not by geography, but by an idea. A problem that needs to be solved, and a team of like minded people solving these problems in new ways. Welcome to the workplace of the future. Sydney, Melbourne, and the rest of Australia have all undertaken periods of lockdowns over the past 15 months. Across the country, a number of us are now looking towards finding the balance between how we worked before and how we'll continue to work in the future. Extend this to the rest of the world and there are hundreds of millions of people heading back into the office environment. So how does this happen smoothly and what role will technology play in facilitating this return and how can employees trust that the workplace that they're re-entering is going to be safe? Joining me today is one of the world's leading futurists, Mike Walsh. He's the CEO of Tomorrow, a global consultancy on designing companies for the 21st century and Cisco's Head of Workplace Technology in Australia and New Zealand, Chris Anderson. Welcome.
1: Thanks so much, Heidi. Great to be you. It's great to be here.
0: Chris, I'll start with you. I know Cisco's done a lot of work on the workplace of Tomorrow. Can you describe this to me? What, what does this look like?
1: Certainly, Heidi. Yes, we've certainly done a lot of work to imagine what we need from our next workplaces. And I think it's pretty clear from what we've learned over the last 12 months that remote work forms a part of our work in the future. And I think the workplace of tomorrow is, of course, not just a single place, but it's a combination of the right places that you need to be based on what you need to do. And that needs to be enabled with technology to keep everything connected. So if we think about what that looks like and how physical offices play a part in that, It becomes about the potential for the office to deliver more than just being a place you go to work. It becomes about a place that's enhanced with digital experience that enables people to get more out of that physical space.
0: So it has been said that the office is essential for that spontaneous collaboration and innovation, but the pandemic's pretty much proven that isn't the case. So has the pandemic in fact been the mother of all invention and innovation
2: Well, I I think in some ways we're caught between this uh, dilemma now, especially that we're sort of on the poise of returning back to offices. So you've got a whole bunch of people that are completely fatigued by staring at screens for the last 18 months. And then you have others who for whom the prospect of commuting for an hour to go from one screen to another seems insane. And If that seems like a tough choice, I think it's because it's a false one. Uh, You know, for me, the issue is not remote versus office work. It's what have we learned in the last year and a half about reinventing the workplace for this new era that we're in, in which AI data automation is not just changing the way we get grocery deliveries or how we stream entertainment on Netflix. It's profoundly changing what the nature of work is. So for me, the pandemic has forced us to really consider, much earlier than many people would have liked, this question of what is work.
0: How innovative can we really be on a video call? Are there any cases of spontaneous collaboration on video calls?
2: (laughs) You ask that, like you're asking for cases of spontaneous combustion. Um, (laughs) You know, for me, the big problem is this. We took all our worst practices of meeting culture before the pandemic. And then we added video cameras. So meetings were already terrible for many organizations long before COVID-19, because, you know, there were endless PowerPoint presentations, there were people called into endless meetings that didn't need to exist. And then we sort of created these marathon online meetings, uh, which in many cases, forced people into a synchronous communication pattern where They then had to, at the end of the day, spend quiet time actually doing work. So I think the organizations who have really done it best during the crisis are the ones who thought very purposefully and in a very designed way about what productivity is, what creativity is. They used meetings sparingly, whether they were virtual or hybrid or physical, and they allowed people to work asynchronously to really have quiet time that was more deep and thoughtful.
1: You know, I think they're, you know, really valid points and really interesting points where we need to, um, you know, think outside the square and really start to imagine what we could do.
0: So, Mike, you you are a futurist with your crystal ball. What does the future of meetings post pandemic look like?
2: You know, I, I think we're moving into a phase now where we've really had to, we've had to reconsider what it takes to work effectively when we are in fact apart. And, and, and this is the beginning of a new type of organization. You can think of it as a distributed organization. And the technology is not the hard part. I mean, uh, Cisco has been making amazing products with WebEx, uh, but there were prototype video phones in the 1960s. I think there was even a very early video phone that I saw that was built in 1930. So you have to ask yourself, why did it take a crisis of biblical proportions to force people to take remote work seriously. And and I think that's because the technology wasn't the difficult part. It's that whole culture around delegating decisions, allowing people to creatively collaborate in different modes. So when I think about the future of work in the next five to ten years, it's going to be really driven by organizations that have thought from the beginning to the end around what a really distributed Agile, highly adaptive organisation could look like, which is completely location independent.
0: Is there a benefit to to the workforce, to the employees with this new environment?
2: In the old days, when I say old days, I mean the first internet boom, people tried to attract the best and brightest by basically bribing them with elaborate campuses. So there was free food, free foosball tables, But I think this battleground has shifted now. And so now the big controversy is, uh, does top talent, would they be happier if they're allowed to never come to the office? Uh, But the problem is, if you're just starting in an organization, you need mentors and coaching, it's very hard to do that remotely without physically being together. So I, I think the organizations that can really successfully create a hybrid environment that brings flexibility but also humanity, are going to win in the end with the next generation of talent. Uh, Not because they're winning on fads and gadgets and flashy technologies, but because they've genuinely created a, a, a learning ecosystem that allows people to thrive.
0: Chris, following on from what Mike was saying, how does this technology help build trust in the workplace?
2: We need that
1: technology to be simple to deliver the environment, which means that once we get all of those things right, We've got a simple and effective technology platform to manage. We've got wellness and safety considered. And then, you know, we deliver that hybrid work experience. Then, you know, what we start to see is the drive. And, you know, it's it's almost the pull cool nature of, you know, what drives people to come in and use a physical space and what value do they get from it? And when we get that right enablement of technology around that, then that will draw people back in and they'll feel comfortable and they'll feel productive in the physical space too.
0: You mentioned some of the benefits, if you like, but what's the advantage or is there a cost to business when we start operating in this with this hybrid model?
1: Oh, look, I mean, there's certainly costs. We weigh up the costs of physical space and people costs and technology costs. And, you know, if you look at what's at stake here, the businesses that really harness harness technology to deliver great experiences for employees can greatly improve culture they can greatly improve collaboration and the nature of collaboration across their organisation and also the innovative nature of their employees.
0: That's a really good point. There was a recent study by Cisco which found that we pretty much should expect that 98% of all meetings are going to include at least one or more remote participants. Chris, do you think this is going to remain true over the next, you know, three, five, ten years?
1: I think it is. I think we're seeing overwhelming support from a lot of the customers that we talk to about their intention to maintain long-term hybrid work. So, this opens up the possibility for people to stay in this mode and start to expand on the mode of uh, of true hybrid work. And I think that is here to stay for the very long term.
0: So, Chris, you're saying we need to get used to the screens?
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, I think screens become part of our lives. And in addition to that, we You know, we're going to start to see digital engagements growing constantly. So, you know, just the little interactions with technology to enable you to do your job every day.
0: Mike, how how is this going to start disrupting existing business models?
2: Well, I think the, the threshold question to ask here is how does this new environment change what great talent is? You know, what kind of new capabilities do we need to Uh, instill in people? Do we need to learn programming? And I think this is actually a huge source of stress and tension for so many leaders and team members that are in organizations today who are struggling with digital literacy. And I think that it's a design failure if technology requires a high level of literacy in order to use it. Great technology, for me, works in a very intuitive way. Uh, things self-organized, they're orchestrated, they happen in the background. But that doesn't mean we don't have to become more technically literate. Uh, one of the things I wrote about in, in my recent book, The Algorithmic Leader, is that to be effective in a time of artificial intelligence and automation, you need two very d- different sets of skills. On one side, you need a, a kind of a deep understanding of human complexity, what it means to empathize with your team what it is to create great customer experiences these are intrinsically analog human-shaped capabilities but that's not enough you also need a the ability to think computationally or the ability to leverage data and technology to augment your ability to really master very technical complex problems
0: There's no doubt that the nature of work has changed and it's going to continue to change. If anything, the pandemic's taught us that people are resilient and they're actually quite adaptable to change. There's going to be a period of adjustment for workers as they learn how to adapt to these new technologies in the workplace. It's likely that there's going to be people who spend 100% of their time in the office and there's going to be some people that now work remotely almost on a permanent basis. This concept of a hybrid workplace is beginning to gain traction with a mix of working from home and time in the office. And that's a very different workplace of the future. So if I can refer to you now, Chris, can you elaborate on some of the trusted workplace technologies that are making this new normal workplace a reality?
1: You know, key technology is going to help us do a few things. So number one, it's going to promote worker safety and wellness. Number two, it's going to allow organisations to deliver secure, seamless collaboration styles of work. And number three is enabling technology teams because we talk about technology enablement here, but enabling that to be really seamless and to operate really smoothly is important because that drives a really powerful user experience. And if you think about then driven by that mantra that every experience that somebody has as they come into a physical environment or into their workplace becomes aided by intelligence, so when I connect and walk into a building, it knows what I'm there to do and it knows what I need from it and it can help me. So I walk into a space and I might need to work with somebody remotely. That technology now becomes, you know, almost, almost has a persona and almost has some character where it can actually be a digital assistant for me to do what I need it to do. So if I need to speak to somebody, I can just talk to it and it'll do it for me. If I need to book out a space, it'll be able to, you know, for example, voice activated and driven so that I don't need to spend time doing things that are less relevant to my actual job and the output that I'm delivering. So I think that's uh, the real opportunity to start to create some great experiences and using the full environment around us and understanding what people are using the environment for. The last thing there is the ability to drive all of that information um, you know, to your know, digital screens and interfaces. So, with, you know, for example, signs and information and, and clear communication uh, visibly inside the physical office to provide information about how those spaces are being used and to allow interactivity with that physical workplace. For example, I might be able to chat to my workplace uh, via an app where I just simply ask it what I need and it can respond to me in, in natural language, for example. So those sorts of things start to allow us to drive different workflows across our workplace and, and deliver better outcomes and then driving things like space booking and management. So ensuring that space is not being wasted. This is going to become really important as we you know, start to look at how we might potentially change the, the physical footprint of office space.
0: If I can go to you, Mike, are we going to sort of start to see the end of that aspiration for the, the corner office with the view? Is it is it going to not be the same ideal that it once
2: was? Well, it probably always will, but you're, you're, probably, you're lucky if you maybe get it on Tuesdays and Thursdays rather than a permanent fixture. So I think when we when we really try to create the most harmonious, effective, collaborative, productive, creative workplaces in the future whatever mode they're in, we have to think very carefully about the anthropological as well as the technological aspects of that design.
0: I'll go to you, Chris. With this new trusted workplace, do you believe that it's going to be better for inclusivity?
1: Yeah, I think purely, obviously, there's lots of different areas to focus here in terms of inclusivity, but I think, you know, number one, and particularly if we look at ANZ or Australia um, in terms of the... You know, geographical separation of our country, you look at how um, opportunity for somebody in the most remote corner of Australia can now be made based on the ability for them to work from anywhere. Um, I think that creates an environment where we can now bring in people from no, no matter where they are and have them included in a team. It doesn't have to be in our CBD in Melbourne or Sydney. It can be anywhere across the country.
0: Certainly technology is making people's lives better. In many ways, we can get pretty much anything delivered to our door. We can see anyone in the world face-to-face on a video call. But this change in the nature of work has real-world impacts on society and these are worth exploring. For example, if more people decide to work from home, that's fewer people using transportation. It also has an impact on urban economies, consumer spending and a whole raft of flow-on effects to the broader community. We're certainly entering a period of the quickening. Technology is allowing us to work from home. Business models are changing rapidly and the types of jobs on offer are also changing. I'll go to you, Mike. What happens if suddenly everyone decides that they'd rather stay at home? What impact is that going to start having on these local communities?
2: Well, I can tell you one thing for sure. Good luck ever trying to find a decent cup of coffee again. One of the things that we underestimate is just how much of the dynamic interesting cosmopolitan culture comes from the fact of urban density in cities so i i strongly believe that we're not going to see a mass exodus to the suburbs
0: and i think that's a good point and and i'll cross over to you chris that genesis of ideas do we need to be in the office are two are two heads better than one do we need those two heads to be in the same room
1: look i think there's probably benefits in both ways and i think the ultimate answer is balance and again you know the clear feedback we're seeing from customers across Australia as well is how that balance is going to be really key moving forward so yeah, you know, that concept of me moving out of the CBD uh, 100% of the time is certainly not what we're hearing we're hearing from our customers that they want to be connected and they want to be back in um, you know their office but not full-time and that's you know that water cooler concept of how we sort of get in person and get things done and and generate greater ideas I still think has a lot of merit.
0: And what about the the parents who used to pick up their kids at 6pm, but now they can pick them up at three o'clock and then go home and continue working? Surely this is a great outcome for everyone.
1: It absolutely is. And I think therein lies the underlining of flexible working. This is not necessarily one day I work remote, one day I come to the office. The concept of true flexible working means I can balance what I need to do throughout the day to get the most impact. And I think that's a really, really important consideration here about, you know, we've, we've done this for a very long time at Cisco in terms of running important meetings in the office, but then knowing we need to be, you know, out to pick up the kids from childcare and having the flexibility to do, to do that. And then arriving home, getting the kids to bed and, and jumping back online again to do a few more hours work at night really becomes an effective way to people be, for people to be able to manage their productivity and their time.
0: So how do we get there? What's step one or has step one already been taken? You know, what step are we actually up to? I'll start with you, Chris. Who who leads the change? Is it government? Is it industry? Or um, are we going to start seeing sort of the change happening at that individual company level?
1: It's absolutely all of the above. I think we need to recognise that there is a complete potential to shift here and that there is uh, potential to really generate improvements across society and across the country. Um, So I think government has a really significant role in in that to play. And I think enterprises, of course, will absolutely shift. And, you know, I I see already organisations that I'm working with starting to make some long-term changes and decisions about the way they're going to drive the way they're they're changing. And, you know, I think it's also important to look at the small changes and the constant changes that you make across your organisation to constantly evolve in this direction.
0: Uh, and I think that's a good point that I'll just pick up on there and I'll, I'll throw it over to you, Mike. So uh, do you think that we're going to have sort of a large-scale rapid change or lots and lots of little small changes across a whole bunch of companies and then, you know, by aggregate you've, you've had a monumental shift?
2: I think what's happening is that a lot of the changes are happening under the surface. It's like we're changing the underlying infrastructure and, and sort of the muscle system uh, that is behind our organization. So at first glance, things look the same. We're still are connecting via devices, we're going into offices, we're finding new ways of doing things. But underneath, there's something really big happening. And and that big thing is really the shift to a, a world that is AI powered, that's driven by data, algorithms, automation. And what starts to happen is that those small little changes start to interact and combine with each other and that leads to often exponential shifts that happen very very quickly. So that's why I really believe we're at the dawn of a new age. I think of it as the algorithmic age but really it's it's an age in which all of our experiences either as consumers or as workers are increasingly driven by the power of artificial intelligence.
0: And what do we need to get there?
2: This is really a, a fantastic opportunity I think because As you mentioned before, the pandemic really allowed a lot of organizations to reset. It allowed very conservative, traditional leaders in big companies to be challenged on the idea that they didn't need to do anything. And that digital transformation wasn't something that was nice to have or something they could plan for in five to 10 years. It was absolutely essential to just stay in business. So this is the moment, I think, if it was ever a moment, to try something new. And uh, I think that's really going to be on us rather than regulators or lawmakers to make it happen.
0: And Chris, what's Cisco doing in this space?
1: Cisco's always been really active in harnessing the technology to enable great execution of work, across workplaces. And, you um, in fact, take, for example, you know, for the, the Cisco Melbourne office. This is actually one of the most efficiently designed buildings across Cisco with shared spaces and collaboration areas. And we did that before the pandemic um, and our technology teams have done a great job of using tech to be able to measure the performance of that physical environment and make those changes and so I think um, you know using using key elements to drive this changes is really really important.
0: If I can cross to you Mike do we have a, a visual on what success might look like in terms of an ideal office and the ideal technology and the ideal working environment?
2: Um, for For me, success is where we no longer notice the technology that is making everything possible, uh, where people are just inherently more creative, more collaborative, where things happen almost by magic, and where really the role of human beings becomes more clearly defined relative to what machines and technology can do. So I, I think really in the future, a great job or a great career is where you have a small p sense of purpose that what you're doing is meaningful that you can see the results of your efforts you're working with great people that are inspiring and creative and that's where you get a deep sense of fulfillment that for me is is the workplace of the future
0: our guests, thank you very much for joining us today. One of the world's leading futurists, Mike Walsh, the CEO of Tomorrow, and Cisco's head of workplace technology in Australia and New Zealand, Chris Anderson. Thank you.
2: Thanks, Heidi. It was great to be on the show, and I love talking with you as well, Chris.
1: Thanks so much, Heidi, and likewise, Mike. It was really great to be involved in the conversation.
0: You've been listening to the future is inclusive. To learn more about Cisco's trusted workplace vision and technology visit cisco.com slash bridge to possible let's get back to jeremy three different time zones and a laundry list of challenges for a startup but with technology workplace 2.0 has well and truly arrived